Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 133. I'm Paul Spain, and with me is... Bill Bennett. And Steve Sims. Well, welcome along, guys. Uh, great to have you both here. Now, this is an unusual one because uh, usually we're, we're all uh, we're all together in a room when we're recording this, but on on this occasion we're all in completely different locations. Uh, now, Bill, maybe uh, for the benefit of those who uh, who don't know you, uh, maybe you can just uh, share a little bit about where you fit into the uh, the technology world. Well, I'm a I'm a freelance journalist. I write for mainly non technical readers in things like Management Magazine and New Zealand Business. Occasionally, things like the Herald, um, and I run a. I have my own um, website too. Um, that's really where I sit in. And uh, and and Steve. Well, yeah, uh, first time caller, long time listener. Um, <laughs> I've been in the tech game now about twenty years. The last ten of which I've been in Wi-Fi. Um, pretty much, this is uh, the biggest Wi-Fi company that I've started called Tommy Zone. Um, we're a global Wi-Fi provider in about 108 countries, so uh, all being run out of here in Auckland, New Zealand. Excellent. Well, it's uh, it's a privilege to have you uh, have you on the podcast, and we're certainly looking forward to uh, yeah, hearing your your comments on uh, on a range of topics. Um, but but let's jump in uh, and start with a little bit of a, a discussion around uh, you know some of the things that are going on. In uh, in the world of uh, in the world of Wi-Fi, now there's been a few announcements uh, recently um, that have, that have hit the media. But of course, um, Tommy's own sort of a, a, a fair bit closer to what's going on than um, than I guess what is often reported uh, reported in the in the media. Um, the the particular things we've been hearing about are um, um, the the ability, I guess, for a, a mobile carrier uh, to be able to pass people from you know 3G and 4G standard mobile connections across to a Wi-Fi network uh, and and back again. Can you um, can you maybe you can fill fill in that picture a little bit for people in terms of what's happening and how long that's been going on for? Yeah, look, this has been a problem for some time, particularly for 3G operators around the world, uh, because you you can't just go and build another cell site because they're eye-watering, very very expensive. Um, same with 4G cell sites, and you can't change physics. So mobile network operators have been struggling with the problem of how to cope with this demand of data, um, basically smashing their networks, wanting access to the internet, talking to their network every couple of seconds, uploading the latest photo or tweeting the latest tweet. And um, you've got to congratulate uh, Mr. Jobs for introducing the iPhone to really slap it to AT&T in the States where they had to go and spend $35 billion to upgrade their network just to cope with an iPhone. Um, <laughs> so so um, the Wireless Broadband Alliance, the Wi-Fi Alliance, and believe it or not, the GSMA, the kind of industry body for mobile network operators around the world, um, they've been collaborating uh, quite closely, particularly in the last couple of years. And uh, the Next Generation Hotspot Project, which is what this is all about, um, is where Wi-Fi hotspots will be a, a catch-all um, for mobile network operators that want to unload their data, if you like, and try and make it seamless for their users. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, the customer doesn't care how they're getting on the Internet. They just want the net, but they want it pretty fast. Um, and when they're out and about, they want it hopefully faster than what they get at home um, or as good. And so clearly with the congestion on the networks, that's always been a problem. So um, now Wi-Fi network operators and Wi-Fi vendors are 
um, being put up on stage as the guys to help save the mobile network carriers. And uh, so... So companies like Tommy's Zone are, uh, are, the, are the knights in uh, shining armour to, uh, to, to help with this picture? We'd, we'd like to think so, because the <laughs> software that we have kind of helps them with that. And, uh, and, and ironically, the, um, the Next Generation Hotspot project was, in fact, started when I hosted the Wireless Broadband Alliance here in Auckland back in 2010. And that was when they got involved in the project and said, hey, this is a big problem. Let's get out there and help these mobile network operators make some money out of their customers um, so they can keep their customers, because it's an ecosystem that is quite viable. Um, when you can bundle these Wi-Fi services with your data services and your 4G services, and, and all of this stuff starts to become apparent, that, that stand back from the technologies. No one cares about the technology. All they care about is the user experience on their gadget that they have. And, and what they pay for it, I suppose, as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that we've been seeing, and which we knew many years ago as a, as a Wi-Fi network operator, is that uh, Free is, is racing onto the shores like a tsunami um, to, to take out uh, uh, any data network operator who wants to charge for services. And so um, we are seeing free Wi-Fi services taking over. Um, we are seeing bigger bundles being put together. Um, but, you know, free services are only good when they're given to you in a quality fashion that they actually work. And, I, I mean, I know one fast food place at the moment is struggling with um, even just providing a basic level of service. And uh, it's the thing that we see all around the world is that people provide free Wi-Fi, it ends up being rubbish. Whereas if you, you, you see um, mobile network operators collaborating with some of the Wi-Fi operators, the quality of service is actually quite high. Right. So um, now, I guess you know, in the past, there hasn't been a there hasn't been sort of a seamless way for you to get access to this, uh, you know, Wi-Fi from your um, you know from your your network provider, such as your telecom or your Vodafone, um, or, or anyone really, other than going in and connecting to a um, you know to a Wi-Fi hotspot and you know entering credentials in or you know jumping through some hoops. But yeah. where it's where this is going, what you're talking about is a, is a, I guess a really seamless transition. Uh, where, where you're in a particular area, uh, they've got you know both Wi-Fi as well as 3G or 4G capability, and uh, you know as long as your Wi-Fi is on, you would be able to uh, uh, you know automatically pick up that Wi-Fi capability. Is, is that that's pretty much what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah it is because right now your gadget, when you take it home, it goes off the 3G or 4G network and it goes to your Wi-Fi hotspot that you have at home because it knows who you are. Um, public Wi-Fi networks don't. They're very clunky. They're always fairly hard to kind of log in. Um, in fact, I think the most seamless one that we're getting close to with uh, providers such as um, Skype Wi-Fi and Boingo where they're, um, and iPass who are providing really seamless clients. And a lot of the mobile network operators are using this as a stopgap measure until they kind of find the way that next generation hotspots is going to start heading. But it's got to be as simple as you walking into a zone and and your, your gadget knows who you are, what you're supposed to be there for, and the network knows who you are and what you're supposed to be there for and delivers you a great service. So it's got to be the same as, as when you're wandering through your house. Great. Well, yeah, we certainly look forward to that happening. Now, um, a couple of things, I guess, relevant to New Zealand, uh, and we, we were talking about this before we started, is uh, you know, telecom who uh, are putting uh, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots into a lot of the, uh, um, I guess, the old school sort of phone booths around the country uh, and, and offering that to... Uh, you know, to their customers, uh, so you can you can see that sort of um, you know Wi-Fi capability 
moving to be sort of seamless in the future. And um, one thing that I got a chance to look at a week or uh, a week or two back was it was a run through of some of the uh, future technologies that. Vodafone are looking to roll out and uh, one of those pieces of technology uh, were their, were their uh, small cells or, uh, or PICO cells uh, which are the smaller cell sites that, are con- that can accommodate uh, you know, one to two hundred uh, mobile connections uh, but what they also quietly mentioned was that those same boxes uh, can deliver Wi-Fi as well uh, and you know that would uh, then you know I guess augment that 3G 4G capability that they're looking to put into uh, into malls and uh, you know buildings and small towns and 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 so on. So you can imagine uh, certainly both of those two being able to uh, jump on board with this uh, in the not too distant future. Is, is that uh, is that your pick, Steve? On- yeah, we're, we're seeing we're seeing it now, and 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 I know that um, the carriers are listening to this podcast. I think the first thing that they've got to look at is site licences because there are a lot of landowners right now doing their own thing and they're starting to talk quite openly about how they want to lock up their own airwaves. Now, um, you, you take a, a very large mall operator and they have a whole lot of rogue Wi-Fi access points, but if they want to provide carrier class Wi-Fi and resell that to the telcos, then they've got to get some kind of site licence to make that happen. That, that's one of the keys to the success in this area. Forget what the vendors are saying. Forget, um, uh, forget about the backhaul options. The bottom line is that if you don't have the zone, don't even bother thinking about it. And so, so that's rule number one. So would it be fair to say that uh, Tommy Zone's already hooked up uh, these sort of site licences? Oh, we, we have quite a few in our footprint strategy, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, Bill, did you, did you have anything um, that, that you wanted to, uh, you know, drop in on this conversation? I know in the past we've talked a lot about that, uh, you know, I guess the speeds that 4G is able to deliver, um, you know, lining very much up with, uh, you know, with ultra-fast broadband type speeds. Uh, I guess in this discussion, we, we, you know, Steve started off with the, you know, comment that, well, you can't change, you know, I guess uh, science, and there isn't. Uh, there's only so much bandwidth to to, to go around. Um, do you think this this Wi-Fi is going to uh, sort of solve and and maybe um, you know allow the carriers to bring a sort of in between um, you know offering in terms of the data packages, which are you know now pretty small for uh, you know for mobile users. Yeah, I think it's part of the mix. I think that the um, the, the packages just aren't anything like enough. Um, and even even with the plan I'm on, I've, I've I've paid the extra twenty bucks a month for a bolt-on. I think it's one gigabyte extra, and that's still like five or six gigabytes short of what you really need. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I think this is I think this is actually quite crucial, and I think that it's going to happen. I mean, Steve will probably know better than I on this, but I think it's going to happen really quickly. I think we're probably looking at. This all being in place, you know, by this Christmas. Would that be right, Christine? Yeah, it, it, you've got um, you've got this already rolling out now with with the telecom um, hotspots yeah. with Ruckus, uh, the, the vendor. Um, you know, they've got their footprint already, and uh, of course, we're going to start seeing this now. They've got to do something about their own carrier strategy to make sure that they keep providing a good level of service to their customers, so they can keep their customers. Um, because, uh, you know, it, it will just take the other guy to say, hey, we've got a faster network and it's in more places. And so it's a gigantic contest. It's kind of like an arms race. Well, the thing that, the thing that surprised me, I, mean, I used this service um, in the summer when I was... The, the, some of the um, telephone kiosks in holiday hotspots were 
um, were have you know, had Wi-Fi enabled over the summer. And I found, you know, even in the middle of the Marlborough Sounds, I found one. What surprised me was they didn't ask for any. They didn't ask me to prove that I was a telecom customer to get onto the network, and I thought that was. Yeah, pretty much a given, but it was open to everyone. Yeah, um, but this it, is where we're starting to see a whole lot of these other strategies come in with advertising overlays. So um, they now know who you are, Bill. Yeah. Well, I, I, and they probably watched watched everything you did and uh, grabbed all your passwords as well, Bill. Uh, <laughs> so maybe they're siphoning your bank account as we speak. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, I'd rather pay a little, and it doesn't have to be a lot, and not have that. But that's me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's what Boingo is doing at the moment with global plans. That uh, you know, I think they sell them for something like about thirty dollars a month, and uh, yeah. it gives you the security and the knowledge that you're using a secure connection to the internet um, over Wi-Fi because it does set up all kinds of cool things like VPNs and all of that. Now, when it becomes completely seamless and the next generation hotspot, that's when it becomes a completely compelling proposition. Yeah. I think there's a few, there's a few stages to this. For instance, uh, T-Mobile in the US have, have um, you know, have rolled out, uh, um, an offering there, which I think they've, they've launched, uh, in conjunction with their new, uh, the new Nokia, uh, Lumia 521 over there, I was reading, uh, where, where they've got a, um, you know, you can actually do your, your phone calls over the, uh, via the Wi-Fi as well. Um, but, but, you know, still, uh, still being a T-Mobile call, you're not doing it over Skype or, or some other, uh, service. But at the moment, that doesn't hand over seamlessly when you move, uh, from Wi-Fi into, you know, 3G or, or 4G area. But all of those things ultimately are going to, you know, come together. So you just won't, won't think about it. Um, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds really good. I was talking to an engineer about that not so long ago, and perhaps Steve will know more about this than, than me, but I got the impression from talking to the engineering guy that doing that handover is relatively simple. Doing it well is relatively difficult. Yeah, I, I agree, Bill. I mean, the, the, the difficulty that you've got is that um, your gadget will have a device um, address somewhere on a network somewhere, and uh, when you hand off to another network, it will be given a different postal code, if you like, and uh, they've got to somehow keep all of the envelopes going between each other or the packets. Um, that's, that's how they need to do it really well. And what we're seeing, um, particularly with, uh, and, and I use Skype a fair bit between the two networks um, of 3G and, and Wi-Fi, I'd be holding a call, go out of a Wi-Fi zone and smack bang onto a 3G network. For some reason, that particular service holds that call perfectly well. Um, so, so I think it's the apps themselves that are starting to be the clever part, as opposed to the networks being the clever part. Yep, I, w I would certainly agree. That's um, yeah, that seems to be the way it's going. Now, uh, quite a few other topics to get to uh, to chat through. So, um, next one now today was um, there was a launch event for BlackBerry, um, the BlackBerry 10 operating system, and the first of their devices uh, for New Zealand. Uh, now, with me being out of town, I've, I've missed this one, but uh, we, we've been you know reading up a lot on this. And Bill, you were there in person to have a play around with um, the BlackBerry Z10. In fact, you've got one there in uh, in your hot little hand at the moment uh, and you also had a little bit of a, a little bit of a look at the uh, the Q10 which is their new uh, new uh, smartphone with a with a keyboard on it which of course is, is very much um, you know what BlackBerry w was always loved for was a you know a great device with a great keyboard um, give us give us your rundown on um, on the event today and what your thoughts were on the hardware and the software bill well it was 
It was actually quite impressive, and I must—I have to say—I went along with you know fairly low expectations because you know here's a company that's been on the ropes for a while. Um, the product is is really good. It's in the same it's in the same sort of ballpark as the top smartphones around today. Um, the the Samsung, the Lumia. Um, I, do you know? I think pretty much the three of these are now just a tad out in front of the um, iPhone in terms of the hardware, but that obviously will change later this year. Well, we're, we're, we're assuming it will. Um, there's there's a nice feel to the to the products. There's also, um, I, I should point out, by the way, that it's we're now on to BlackBerry 10.1, which shows you how fast things are moving. Well, it's and also fun. shows that New Zealand's been left a little bit behind because we didn't get well, this quite as quick had. as some parts of the world. <laughs> the phone was the phone was originally announced last May, so it's been a, it's actually a year since BlackBerry talked about the phone. It was launched in Australia, I think, in March. I think it was launched elsewhere in the world even earlier than that. Um, so we are we are a little bit behind the ball, but there's there's actually a BlackBerry New Zealand now. There is there are staff here, and um, there seems to be quite a commitment. They've done deals with Vodafone and Telecom, and um, the, the the approach to the market is quite interesting. They're, BlackBerry is clearly aiming at that sort of corporate enterprise space where it always was big, but they're emphasising the fun aspects of their phone. And I actually asked um, the, the the managing director of Australia and New Zealand, a chap called Matthew Ball, about that, and I said, well, you know, I guess that having that fun stuff is the price you have to pay for people to not not reject your phones when they have a BYOD policy. You know, when they have a choice of what device they have, they pretty much agreed that you know BlackBerry has to have Angry Birds and what have you just to be in the market anymore. Um, but there's still there's still quite a distinctive business feel to things. And one of the things that you can do is you can. Um, you can split your phone's identity so that there's a kind of business identity and a personal identity on the same device. And that's that's kind of, um, that's roped off, if you like, the two areas are roped off at the kernel level. So you can't copy data from the business aspect of the phone over to, say, Facebook, for example, which will keep a lot of you know, CIOs and so on very happy. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's been that's always been one of the strong points for BlackBerry is it's you know it's been secure enough that uh, uh, you know governments and, and 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 corporates have you know been uh, been very very comfortable about having uh, you know those devices in their uh, in their environments. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's great that they haven't um, you know lost uh, all of their edge in, in that space because you know effectively we're doing we, we're dealing with a um, you know a whole new operating system. Although it was um, you know it's also used in uh, you know in, in BlackBerry's tablets uh, well, when they launched uh, you know yeah, the operating a year or so back. The operating system is quite is, is quite distinct from the others. I mean, it's funny because because you know obviously smartphone touchscreen operating systems can't be that different from each other because the because the um, the physical form is you know similar. So so um, there are similarities, but there's a definite different feel to the BlackBerry, and it's it's nice and smooth. The software and the hardware are beautifully integrated. Rather like the iPhone, rather like the um, the Windows Phone, 
and in contrast to the Android, where the, where the you know the two sort of still are a bit clunky. I mean, even with all the fancy overlays and so on, I, d- I just don't think Android has that slickness of experience. The other Bill, thing, Bill, you, by saying that, I'm going to get all sorts of complaints again. Uh, I, I got a, I got a few last time you uh, you slated Android, so uh, yeah, just just go a little bit easy on Android. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not slating Android, but I think that I'm, so much as I think that some of its, I mean, it has a, a separate set of advantages with its openness and so on. But the price you pay for that is is that it's just not as smooth or as beautiful an experience. And, and one of the ways which the, the BlackBerry impresses, I haven't had much chance to give this a real a real test. So so I have to tell you about the demonstration I watched. Is that the various apps work seamlessly together? So if you want to take something, I mean, putting that what I mentioned about the business and personal divide aside, if you want to move data or or stuff between apps. It's much easier. You don't have to close. You don't have to close an app and open another one, and so on. They actually um, they seem to be operating simultaneously, and the the linkages between them are, are much smoother. I'm going to be giving that a bit of a test. The other thing that was really impressive in the demonstration is is that they had one of those big screens, um, big flat screens, which you often see, and you think, oh yeah, more PowerPoint, and they did do a PowerPoint-like presentation, but it was all done off the phone. So there's a there's a, um, a cable which just connects the phone into the back of the star screen TV, and it's good enough. I mean, it would be good enough for you to, to rock up to, you know, some expo or conference or whatever and just connect your BlackBerry up and do your presentation. You don't have to take a laptop or a tablet. I thought that was quite impressive. That's that's good to see that uh, BlackBerry have caught up with AirPlay from Apple. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that's that's with a with a wire. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're starting to see that across uh, across mobile. Uh, you know, more and more of the mobile platforms can can offer that type of functionality. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's it's getting it's getting to the point where that's just expected. In fact, it was just announced in the last last day or two that uh, Windows eight point one. Uh, you know, they've got. Additional sort of wireless, um, you know, wireless display capabilities uh, that hadn't been in uh, in Windows before. So it, it's almost becoming sort of uh, ubiquitous, isn't it? This this is a norm now because I I also see it around our household where, you know, all of the gadgets are being thrown up onto the big screen and uh, and things. So that's a norm. But I just wanted to make a comment also, Bill, is that I think that BlackBerry Balance is in fact the um, uh, the killer for um, for any other device that doesn't have a work personality versus home personality. Um, so I I reckon you you'll see some of these more serious um, mobile OS people uh, really take the lead from BlackBerry on that because that BlackBerry balance is really really awesome. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I get the impression that this is. I mean, there's still the company is still very much going after the enterprise market, and I think. It's um, it, it sounds to me very much like the kind of enterprise, the phone that enterprise managers would like to see their staff choose in a BYOD program. Mm. I think the other players will start coming out with it, but I suspect that the open source Android won't. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I think that's probably where Android is at its weakest, actually. Mm. Now, um, in other devices we've sort of had hands-on with um, recently, uh, one one that came through is um, Sony's Nex 6, which 
uh, is is uh, I don't know if either of you have um, ha- have been watching uh, the 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 area, but um, we've got a number of vendors there that are delivering uh, cameras that sort of sit between the the uh, you know point and shoot digital cameras and then the full blown uh, digital uh, SLR. And the next six is uh, is Sony's latest in that uh, in those regards. And um, what it is is a smaller camera, but it does allow full uh, interchange change of uh, of lenses so there's a whole range of lenses uh, available for it and it's a 16 megapixel uh, very uh, very very nice uh, results for this sort of smaller size camera uh, and uh, and great uh, great video you know very fast to uh, uh, shoot and uh, built-in Wi-Fi, so you can link actually link it up um, to your smartphone or your computer to sort of see what's what's on it. Um, yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed with this one um, actually, uh, but yeah, this it's certainly uh, you know a step up from the price point of the uh, the the lower uh, uh, pointed shoots. Have either of you um, had a, had a look at these uh, these cameras or some of the Micro Four Thirds cameras, which are um, you know in a similar market? I think one of the interesting things about what Sony's done here, and, and this is this actually impresses me, that they've gone for um, 16 megapixels. They haven't gone for some ridiculously high number of megapixels, which you know they can't de- can't deliver good pictures and um, so on. They've actually they've actually resisted the temptation to go for, you know, 30, 40, 50 megapixels, which is what you're seeing in some other cameras. And um, that's that sounds, you know, like they know what they're doing. They really know what they're doing. One of the other impressive things um, is the detachable lens market because uh, there is a stockpile of detachable optical lenses and you, you can see the kind of um, quality of the, of the backplane that they've got there. But if you've got yourself three or four lenses that you love, they're going to fit on these, and and so you don't have to go out there and buy a whole new lens set. Yeah. Um, so so that's a major investment for a lot of people that they've made over the years. I mean, I I have, and um, and and so so this is going to be a really handy way to kind of bring out the the dead lenses again and and stick them on these things. Yeah, well, we're starting to see those you know those converters become available, so you can uh, yeah you can bring a mix of uh, uh, lenses across. Now they, these use a they're calling it. Uh, E-mount, which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively new, um, you know, lens uh, standard, but it's being used across a range of um, of, of Sony devices, including, uh, yeah, some of the uh, some of the video uh, cameras, and uh, yeah, with those sort of third-party converters being able to, you know, plug in, uh, yeah, plug in lenses and so on uh, onto different devices, it's uh, it's quite fascinating, and yeah, the the idea of having Wi-Fi and um, um, you know even and 3G starting to be built into cameras uh, also opens up, you know, possibilities for uh, you know for, for taking that content and and quickly uh, quickly moving it around, which is great. Yeah, I think if I was still in publishing, if I was still you know working for a publisher as opposed to being a freelance, I'd probably I'd probably spend some of the budget on buying one of these. 
Yeah, and they've got a, the next seven is actually a variant with a 24, um, uh, megapixel sensor. So they, they are going up into those sort of higher megapixels as well. Uh, but you know, only for those that really, really need it. It's, uh, you know, it's not, not something that's, uh, you know, across, right across the range. But, um. It's for astronomers and astronauts. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, well, well worth a look anyway. Um, if, you know, if, if you're looking at, looking at cameras and yeah, you, you get really a lot of the benefits of the digital SLR, but without the the weight uh, and and you know the lens is generally a, generally a little bit smaller, not necessarily, uh, and and by being um, you know purely um, um, I guess doing away with the digital uh, SLR technology, uh, there, there are some um, you know some things you lose, such as an optical uh, viewfinder, but there's also a number of um, you know number of benefits there in terms of the way they. Uh, uh, they cater to that. Um, now, other a um, couple of other bits and pieces which we'll probably dive into more next week um, because we haven't got time for a, a huge amount of discussion. Um, we've had a look at HP's new NV15. Now they've been releasing uh, the NV sort of 15 uh, range for uh, uh, for a few years now, but uh, we've had a little bit of a play around with with the newest one. Um, and some details of this are still um, uh, are still not public, so we, we we're still waiting for the for the sign off on uh, on giving those details out. So I think we'll probably come back uh, on that one um, over the next ne- next uh, episode uh, or or so. Um, the other gadget I've uh, been having a look at um, that's also due to be launched uh, shortly is the uh, the Fitbit Flex. Now, um, we're starting to see a whole range of, I guess, you know, wearable uh, technology-type uh, devices, and this is, um, uh, I think, the third device from uh, from the team at Fitbit who, who seem to sort of be leading uh, the race in terms of uh, gadgetry to, uh, um, you know, help you track your, uh, your exercise regime. Uh, now... Um, have either of you uh, had a look at this? Um, Steve, have you you been uh, keeping a bit of a watch on the wearable uh, technology space? I think um, you know you've you've got at least one gadget in that area. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do love my Pebble Watch, and I wish it was as cool as this Fitbit, um, because uh, anyone that knows me, including my my beloved family, would know that I'm trying my hardest to lose a little bit of weight. So having something that actually tells you that you are or not, um, in terms of how many footsteps and things, gives you an incentive to kind of wear it. Yeah, I um, think it's a good good encouragement, isn't it, if you can track those things and uh, and and see you getting a little bit higher up in the graph, right? Yeah, well, that's that's the point because us human beings need that that positive reinforcement of graphs and pictures and people telling us or things telling us that um, we're doing the right thing, and and this this fits the bill. It's a hundred bucks. Um, it doesn't drain that much of your battery when you're using it, and uh, and and really, it's a nice way to if you really want to expose it to your friends. Um, show everyone else how you're going. You can tweet them and and so on, right? Yeah, I think it's 100 US. Uh, I think it's launching uh, launching here about 100 and, um, uh, 180, the New Zealand uh, variant, which is uh, is not far off at all. Well, I can see application already in other places, like uh, for instance, orienteering, which my son does. Uh, you know, wear one of those, see how many uh, kilometres he's run, how many, um, uh, you know, even altitude. I think that that's not on this one, but. Um, you know, those kind of things are starting to become very, very commonplace. I can see someone in my family buy me one of these as a present. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, think, I think I'm going to have to buy my own somehow. <laughs> well, uh, I, think, 
I think it's I think it's nice. It's 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 it's, it's, it's nice. It's, I mean, it fits the bill that it's something technical, so they know that I like it, and it's a caring thing to buy someone. So that's good too. Yeah, well, I think what we're going to what we're going to see over the next couple of years, and, and at CES there were there were there were you know loads of them, but we're we're going to see a real onslaught of um, of wearable devices that are that are going to be um, you know focused on on fitness on on health in general, and over time these things are going to measure a, you know a whole lot more details. So uh, you can imagine in the future that you know your doctor will get in touch with you and say. Uh, look, we've noticed that uh, this is happening with your heart rate or your blood pressure or X, Y, Z, uh, because actually all those things will be monitored and will be fed back, uh, you know, in in a, in a way that you agree with into uh, into you know certain sort of systems, and you know in the same way I guess we've seen uh, uh, you know um, the management of technology move in the last few years to be managed much more proactively rather than you know the old uh, break fix uh, IT support. Um, you know we should expect the same you know with our health and by using these sorts of tools and um, you know, and a, and a health system that uh, you know hopefully becomes more and more progressive. Um, you know, w- we should end up being a little bit more ahead of uh, you know of health issues. So, so a question to ponder there, Paul and Bill: Which country is going to be first in the world to implant these at birth? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It might be. Um, well, I guess uh, yeah. If you Im- Im- well, if you implant them. Um, yeah, would that uh, would that work? That sort of need to grow. Oh, you have an additional graph called temperature. <laughs> well, last yeah. week we, we were talking about. Uh, I think it was last week. We were talk- there was, um, or no, it might have actually been in the in the week. One of the uh, one of the stories that that um, uh, came through from um, f- from from the US um, was a. Um, uh, Oh, what was it? There was a um, a, a pill that you uh, that you swallow. Um, oh, is that, this a password recovery thing? Yeah, it? yeah. That uh, that that um, you know basically verifies you are who who you say you are to uh, you know authenticate uh, um, you know with a particular uh, you know piece of software etc. Rather than having to remember all sorts of passwords, you uh, you drop the pill and it uh, looks at your assets inside you and says, oh yeah, that's Bill or that's Paul or or that's Steve and uh, and passes that back to Google. Or Microsoft or whoever, um, yeah, spooky. It, it is. A, it's a scary world, uh, but yeah, all sorts of uh, fun and and um, yeah and crazy things come, coming up. Uh, now, Computex is. I think it's currently on at the moment in uh, in Taipei, and this this seems to swing around uh, reasonably quickly. But it, it happens this time, uh, this sort of time every year. There's always lots of announcements of uh, of new gadgets. Also happening at the moment, Microsoft have got their TechEd conference on uh, in the in the US. Uh, now, there's been a, a few announcements. Announcements and, and bits of information that have been uh, that have been coming through uh, based on these two events. Now, one that wasn't unexpected is the next generation of Intel's um, uh, core processors. So we, we, you know, we're talking the Core i3, i5, and i7 that we find in uh, uh, devices, you know, such as, such as the, the MacBooks and most standard PCs. Uh, of course, Microsoft Surface Pro uh, has uh, has the core core chips from Intel in them. Uh, but this uh, this next generation, the uh, the Haswell chips uh, and and associated microarchitecture is is due to launch, uh, I think over uh, over uh, I think late next week actually. 
Wednesday uh, Wednesday next week. Uh, but um, if you uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, there there is uh, a bunch of info that has been uh, has been hitting uh, from. Um, uh, from Computex on that, lots of new devices uh, uh, shown off, and uh, the other one from Intel, which is also getting attention, uh, and we've talked about before, are the new Atom processors uh, that are the um, they're calling Cedar Trail, um, which also bring uh, you know bring a bring a, bring a bunch of uh, advances, and we'll see lots of devices starting to uh, to to come through uh, on um, as well. I think that's a little bit later on. Uh, in the in the year uh, now, in terms of devices that we've seen seen announced in the last uh, in the last few days, one that uh, one that that particularly jumped out is this new Windows tablet from uh, from Acer. Now, this seems to follow in the footsteps of what we've seen from uh, uh, from Google with uh, with Android running on a on a lot of smaller tablets. And then, uh, you know, late last year, of course, Apple uh, with the with the iPad Mini. Now, uh, Steve, you're you're a pretty big fan of the iPad Mini and that uh, that form factor. What's your uh, what's your pick on Windows moving into uh, into the smaller form factor? How important is this for Microsoft? It's it's massively important, and 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 can only be kind of matched as long as they've got the price point there, and they've got the features that can kind of match the desirable devices that people want for that size. And the thing is that that um, that form factor is big enough yet small enough to be useful. Uh, when you're, you're sitting there reading it on the couch, it's not heavy and clunky, and it's not big and massive with a big glow on your face. Um, but also it fits in your jacket pocket, um, so so you know that form factor is brilliant. Now, if you can you can put a good processor in it, a decent amount of uh, of, of memory in it, and some really cool apps and a nice display, um, it, it's going to work really well. So you know the the Windows 8 inch tablet should work particularly well, um, particularly with uh, with higher screen resolutions coming down the track. Yeah, the um, one thing that jumped jumped out on this one was, um, you know, you you don't normally see a keyboard paired with a uh, a smaller size tablet, uh, but uh, with the Icona W3 from from Acer, that's um, that's actually one one of the options. And the reason it uh, in particular it jumped out at me is I was talking to uh, to a business owner last week who uh, who said to me, "Look, can I uh, can I tie my smartphone uh, to a keyboard so that I can uh, you know I can get bits and pieces done without having to uh, without having to carry a big laptop or or a huge uh, device around?" Uh, and it's interesting seeing some of the some of the comments uh, you know online from people saying, "Oh, this looks ridiculous with a keyboard," and, and and that's madness. But um, Bill, do you think there's, um, you know, th- there's an interest in having a smaller tablet like this, and uh, and and having the option to pair it with a keyboard? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I was I was, I was looking at it thinking, well, once again, you know, remembering that I'm a journalist, this would be an ideal tool for um, for me. I mean, I use my if I go away to a conference or go away to cover something big, I don't take a laptop anymore. I take the iPad, uh, the 10-inch iPad, and a keyboard. And that that's good. I mean, that works for me, and it's and um, for the next year or so, that's going to be how I do things. But when I come to refresh, I was thinking, I was looking, I was actually looking at the picture of the um, eight-inch thing. I was thinking, hmm, I wonder the fact that you can stick it in a coat pocket for um, you know for when you don't need a keyboard. That's great. I don't know. I I think this is. I think this has a lot of potential. I'll tell you what. I bet this sells. 
Well, it seems like they're uh, they and this this one this was shown off uh, by Microsoft at the at the, at the TechEd uh, event, and um, you know it, it's got you know what you were talking about earlier with the BlackBerry. It's got a micro HDMI port, so you can uh, you know you can jack that uh, you know straight into a into a monitor if you uh, if you want to as well. So uh, you know we're starting to get down to these small uh, devices that can replace your uh, PC, but you walk uh, you know you walk up to a monitor and uh, and, and you can link into it and uh, you know of course with the with the refresh of Windows 8 the, the Windows Blue or 8.1 variant uh, you know having more of those wireless display uh, type capabilities that's got to help as well but th- when I saw the picture it actually took me back about 15 years to when uh, when I used to use a Palm Pilot and I was uh, I was you know traveling various parts of the world Russia and uh, Asia and um, India and so on and um, I traveled around with this little Palm Pilot little modem that would attach to get me online for doing emails, and uh, in my in my suitcase I would carry a little uh, fold up uh, keyboard, and uh, when I wanted to uh, you know get in touch and and do my communications, I would uh, take this tiny little Palm Pilot with a screen smaller than uh, yeah most of the smartphones we have today, uh, attach it to the keyboard and uh, and and tap out my emails. So uh, you know there's sort of a um, uh, harking back to uh, you know technology of old when I, uh, I, I still have I one of those one. in my technology museum at home. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> I, I wish I knew where my old uh, Palm Pilots were. I went through a few generations of oh, uh, mine, of that mine, technology. Mine's gone. I get rid of that stuff. But I, um, but yeah, you're, it's interesting that you were saying that because I remember a device around about that same time, probably a bit further ago, maybe twenty years ago, which is a very small HP device which had built-in Lotus 1, 2, 3, and um, it had a mono screen, but it was about the size, it was roughly that size, and it was small enough to pick and put in your pocket. And I remember this um, this guru-type figure from HP was brought out to New Zealand to demonstrate the thing, and he put it in his pocket, and he said, one day, all accountants will have these. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, just just uh, I guess jumping back to the um, uh, yeah comp- Computex uh, type bits and pieces and uh, and all those various announcements and the things that uh, that Intel have been sh- shown off. Now we had heard that these new uh, processors from Intel were maybe going to double uh, uh, double battery life, uh, but that you know we're now seeing real figures. And uh, just one of the uh, one of the slides that the Verge have have shared online um, shows a whole range of uh, a whole range of, of of numbers, and it doesn't doesn't look as though uh, a doubling in um, uh, in battery life is is realistic. Certainly not in this first round of the chips. Um, they're showing an example where a um, uh, you'd, on the old last generation of chips, you'd get six hours worth of battery life doing HD video playback, uh, and with the same size battery, that will jump to 9.1 hours. Uh, but there, there are, um, of course, there's a, there's, I guess, a, a, you know, a next generation sort of starting to, uh, well, there, there are the more mobile uh, friendly um, chips that will start to come out later on during the year. So uh, we'll, we'll be certainly looking forward to getting a bit more of a hands-on and a closer look at that. Um, and next week, actually, uh, Intel are doing the uh, the launch for this region out of Sydney. So um, I'm expecting to be there, and we'll uh, we'll see see what more we can find out as we have a look at uh, at more of those devices. Uh, yeah, now, 
Sorry. I was talking to someone. Sorry, Paul. I was talking to someone from one of the um, one of the um, hardware manufacturers not so long ago, and he said that this year they they expect to have products which can go for almost twenty hours. So that's the um, that's going to be the devices that are based on the new Atom chip, and oh, right. uh, which, which has got the uh, Cedar Trail as its uh, sort of code name. And what what's happening with the Atom because that that's you know compatible with the the core chips from a uh, you know software perspective. So you can run all your existing uh, Windows apps. I mean, certainly uh, Apple could be using that as well for um, you know Mac OS X. Uh, but but what they're doing with this generation is they're dramatically improving the performance. Uh, there's there's a talk of you know uh, potentially double the performance and battery life that could triple. So a lot of the um, you know the thinner and lighter uh, tablets that we see today running uh, running the full version of Windows run an Atom uh, chip, and it, yeah, in theory those could stay a similar size uh, and yet move to a 24-hour battery life. Now I'm not sure that anyone wants. Um, well, I'm sure people would like a a, a, a laptop or a tablet with 24-hour uh, battery life, uh, but I think there'll be more interest initially in slimming down the devices and saying, "Well, look, give me uh, give me eight to 12 hours, but give me uh, you know a tablet that's even thinner and 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 even lighter." Um, that that would be my thought. What um, what's your thought on that, Steve? Well, it's, it's more so about battery life these days, and and with all of the battery technology that's um, that's being biffed out of all sorts of labs all over the world. Um, it's, it's encouraging to see that the chips are getting more efficient with electricity um, because once these new batteries come out, you're going to end up with tablets that will last for weeks, um, pretty much like a Kindle. Um, so, so you know, that's what I'm really impressed about and looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Now, um, just uh, just jumping to uh, to Windows 8.1 because there's been a huge amount of uh, information uh, re- released uh, in in the last week around this uh, this update. Now, it seems that um, Microsoft are addressing a lot of the uh, you know the complaints, particularly from people that didn't uh, I guess didn't like the change that that Windows 8 sort of uh, you know brought in terms of a user experience. So Microsoft have brought back the uh, or have confirmed they're bringing back the uh, the start button uh, into Windows 8.1, but there's also lots and lots of sort of um, you know little uh, tweaks and adjustment that just uh, just make the experience uh, much nicer. Uh, one of one of the things that uh, you know was minor, but I think will help with this. You know what some people have called quite a jarring experience, uh, moving from the sort of the modern UI back to the I guess the Windows 7 uh, type screen on on the desktop, uh, is that they're now no longer locking you down to uh, you know to what sort of screen background you can have in that modern or metro uh, UI. So you can have the same desktop background uh, actually across both, which. Although it's a very small thing to do, I think uh, you know it just makes those two worlds uh, feel a little bit closer uh, together. Uh, one of the other things they've got is uh, the ability uh, for you to set up uh, Skype. So if your machine is actually locked and uh, and someone is trying to uh, you know to call you on on your tablet or or your laptop, you don't sort of have to log right into the whole thing first. Now. I'm sure there'll be some some security things around this, and not everyone will want to uh, uh, allow that. But uh, having that sort of straight bypass uh, to be able to answer uh, answer calls sounds uh, sounds like a good thing. Uh, 
Um, Bill, have you um, have you looked at some of this material on uh, on Windows 8.1? Because I know you've written uh, and and blogged a fair bit around Windows 8, and uh, you know your experiences with uh, you know with jumping into it, and then um, you know jumping back to Windows 7, and and then uh, realizing that um, you know I guess Windows 7 has some shortcomings compared to Windows 8. What's your yeah, take you have on to this? Do it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you have you have to you have to get in and test those things to, to be sure. And yeah, like I said, I went back to I went back and realised that going back is not really an option. Um, I, I look, I think the thing is is first of all, let's give Microsoft some credit for getting it right. There there, there were question marks over that at the time of the launch. Um, they're they're certainly heading in the right direction. My 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 feeling is that um, that with the eight point one is actually going to be quite a big a big upgrade um, a big change, which is interesting because they've all they've also committed that there won't be a charge for people to go from eight to eight point one. So I I think you're seeing some uh, you know, a level of response to the market. I mean, despite what companies like Microsoft say about giving people what they want and demand and need and so on. That's not usually the case, but I think that the fact that they are responding so much to what the market is telling them is, is, is very interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that it's a, it's a little bit of catch-up here that these guys are doing as well, because um, in the new world of uh, software platforms, um, where everything is starting to get a bit more app-driven as opposed to just the OS, uh, they're kind of making it a bit more intuitive, so you, you, you can use fingers, gestures, uh, all of those kind of things, rather than the good old clunky file, open, close, save as, all of that stuff. So um, so I, I think this major upgrade is great. I mean, one of the catch-up points I must mention is search on, on 8.1. Um, oh. Now, search is, is, is magic on other platforms, but... It's great that that's a catch-up feature that, uh, that that Microsoft have acknowledged. Yeah, it looks like they've sort of got got that right. It was something that certainly surprised me with with Windows uh, Windows 8 when it came out. There wasn't sort of a unified search function. Uh, you know, you you had to uh, you know give the operating system some direction you know, in terms of uh, you know what are you, what are you searching here when you you know you type in a search? Is that for the web? Is it for this or that? And of course, you know, if you're inside an app, that that was uh, you know very very obvious. Uh, but you know now it's sort of got uh, you know I guess a, a unified search function that'll uh, you know be looking across all all the various areas whether it's uh, you know web search or, or, or music and movies and apps and uh, and so on. So it's certainly looking forward to having uh, you know having a play with 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 that side of it. Oh, well, I got quite cross with um, Windows earlier this week when when you know how if you go to the um, the Metro search um, you find something you think oh yeah that could be it. And you click on it, and it's not it. And you have to go back and do the whole damn thing all over again. Oh, okay. And that is just appalling. In other words, on the Metro search, it doesn't save what you had. Um, mm. it, it does when you do the search from the desktop. You know, you go into the Explorer and search. Then, then sure. um, you can. So if you're searching, say you're searching for stories that you've written that use the term SkyDrive, and there might be a hundred of them on my machine, you, you know, you've got to know which one. You can't preview it and say, oh, yeah, that's the right one. You've got, you've actually, you, you know, you find it, you search, you find it, you look at it, and you realize that's not the right one, and you have to go back and do the whole search from, 
first step mm, all over mm. again. That is it's incredibly annoying on a desktop. Right. Um, um, and, and that's the kind of thing which is actually which actually gives Windows 8 that kind of unfinished feel. Right. So do you know if that's one that's been addressed in this? Or uh, I mean, it seems like the, the, the change will probably address those those sorts of uh, things, but we're still waiting. I think it's the 26th of, uh, of June uh, in the US anyway that um, uh, this update will become available for those that sort of want to try a, you know, a test version of it or a you know, beta release um, yeah, that they're, they're, um, they're making available in preview form. Uh, so I, yeah, following that, we, we'll have uh, we'll certainly share our experiences as a sort of the hands-on. A um, couple of the, the other things that uh, that I noticed is um, they're building SkyDrive right into the, the you know the core of the OS, and that will help with uh, especially with Windows RT machines like the Surface RT and some of the RT devices from other vendors because uh, those devices didn't really allow great. Um, Cloud integration uh, with with SkyDrive because of the fact that you couldn't uh, you you know you can't install traditional Windows apps. So having that uh, built in, uh, I think will be uh, will be really really helpful. Uh, there's a new version of Internet Explorer uh, coming. They're going to re- release. Um, Internet Explorer 11, uh, and then you know there's a, there's a bunch of uh, of of new apps and, and bits and pieces that'll be be bundled. Uh, but worth going online. There's some really good uh, write ups around uh, around this release uh, on on sites like Engadget and the, the Verge. Um, there's some good commentary from Mary Jo Foley on all about Microsoft.com. Uh, so if, if this is of interest, definitely worth uh, worth diving in. We certainly can't cover it all in uh, uh, in one podcast and um, the other thing worth mentioning is is this is really the start, uh, in a way, of seeing Microsoft transition, uh, you know, really the rest of their business across to much more regular uh, software updates. So we've seen that with their, uh, you know, their cloud offerings and and some of the consumer uh, products. But with Windows 8.1, you know, we're seeing a new version of Windows uh, just a year after the previous version, and Microsoft are doing the same thing. Uh, really ac- across a lot of their uh, a lot of parts of their business so you know we expect to see a new version uh, most likely of a lot of um, w- the server products from Microsoft and uh, that's uh, that's something I think uh, you know businesses and enterprise users will be watching uh, really closely because they're used to having to wait a really long time uh, between between releases and I think this will help keep Microsoft uh, much more competitive rather than having to wait uh, you know two or three years for a, for a software update uh, and uh, you know often often in the past we've seen Microsoft sort of get uh, leapfrogged by you know all sorts of you know others, be it uh, uh, Apple with uh, new features into OS X and so on, uh, or some of the uh, the more enterprise type players. I think this will, um, yeah, be be really helpful. How do you feel about that? Uh, you know, Steve, being a big Apple fan, uh, you know, of course we've seen OS X updates every sort of twelve to eighteen months. Uh, is is this uh, is this essential for Microsoft to uh, to really up the ante with these more regular updates? Well, again, I come back to the word catch-up, um, and, and I don't mean the stuff that you put on your chips. Um, it's, it really is a situation where the business model is changing for Microsoft as well. Um, they are thinking more outside the box of, of how people treat computers as opposed to how computers treat people. And and so so that shift has now um, made that the groundswell of 
of change in the way that they're looking at their baseline OS. And, and it's really coming out with regular updates. I mean, Google do an update every two days or, or whenever. And, and so, so, you know, the, the, the whole point with release cycles is not necessarily to, to implant new features. It's to, to keep polishing it and keep sweeping the floor and changing the business model to be nimble enough to cope with the demands of what's happening out there. I mean, when was the last time you bought a piece of shrink-wrapped software? Hasn't happened in the last couple of years, I would, I would suggest. So where is Microsoft going to be making its money in the next five to ten years? Yeah, that's fascinating. Actually, you know, if if you if you look at their annual report, it's, you know, it's very interesting where the, where the revenues come from, and yeah, you know, the reality is uh, they you know come from a whole lot of different uh, you know directions. Uh, still Windows and still uh, Microsoft Office being very very strong, but uh, you know a lot of their business products and and, and of course Xbox. So uh, um, we're doing and, a full a full circle in yeah. way back in the seventies. We were doing mainframe computers, and that was the cloud back in the seventies. You know. True. We'd doing the same right now and this is where people are making money in that area i mean look at zero's share price today 1.6 billion dollars it's a cloud business so should microsoft be mm. so should apple be well, and it's, the that's, Xbox yeah, has, been, has been an interesting one because we've, you know, we've just had the new announcement or the announcement about the new Xbox, uh, you know, in the last few days, and, and uh, you know, we'll hear more at E3 about the gaming side of it, and and uh, you know, and and I'm sure you know more throughout uh, the, over the next few months. Uh, but that's been a product where, for a number of years now, Microsoft have been pretty much doing a, um, you know, an annual update to, uh, you know, to push forward, uh, you know, their e Xbox product and to uh, you know to a degree uh, reinvent it every uh, every year or so with you know varying levels of uh, of refreshes you know from a from a, a fresh user uh, user interface to uh, uh, you know things like the connect and so on so yeah I think it, it's pleasing to see them uh, up the, upping the uh, the ante and uh, and and pushing this right out across uh, you know what appears to be most uh, most parts of the business now, I love any software company that goes and tries to kill the time vampire if you can kill a time vampire, you're going to win lots of money. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, a few other little uh, little bits bef before we finish up. Um, now, Igloo, who uh, who last year. Now, this is the um, uh, the, the company that's owned between uh, I think 51% by um, Sky TV in New Zealand and uh, Television New Zealand. Uh, with their, uh, they've had a little set top box in the market for $199. Uh, too rich a price, it seems, for uh, for many and an associated uh, subscription uh, prepay subscription service they've uh, they've just dropped the price of that box now to uh, to $99 uh, at least for the next uh, month um, any any pick bill on whether this is going to help them uh, you know sell through a few more of these in, into the market they don't seem to have uh, you know picked up a, a whole lot of customers just yet no I, look i think i don't think the price is wrong i think the product was wrong and I think that's the, the issue. And, and dropping the price tells you, you know, well, it's, it speaks volumes about what they think of it. But, um, I, it's, it's just, it's just not enticing at any price. I mean, if they gave the thing away, I still wouldn't want one. Um, well, it and, does, and I guess its main, its main shortcoming, uh, is, is that it doesn't let you record TV programs and, uh, and play them back later, which just about everything else on, on the market does now, well, including a number of TVs, right? Yeah, but the other problem is, 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 it's almost like a sort of social thing. And that, and it's this, is that Igloo is in effect Sky TV for poor people. I mean, I know that that's not necessarily <laughs> who's going to buy it, but that's how it's going to be seen. 
And, um, you know, people, I don't think people want Sky TV for poor people. I think people want, you know, they might, they might want Sky, uh, a cheaper Sky subscription maybe, but it's, I just don't think the product is, is right. It, there's something wrong about the thinking behind it. It's such a boring product. Wake yeah. me up when you, when you, when you got something exciting with it. And it's, it's not TV for poor people. It's just, you know, who remembers TiVo? Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. This is 2013. And they're coming out with a 1992 Nokia phone. This is ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Now, um, uh, now we were going to we were going to talk about the um, telecom telecom um, geek zone uh, community router uh, collaboration project. Um, we're 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 not going to squeeze in too much discussion around that. Although it, it would be one we'd probably end up spending a bit of time talking about. Uh, but there, there's a chunk of information there on uh, on Geekzone around that. And uh, and if you're if you're a real tech head that likes to have a, a, a tweaked out uh, uh, router uh, and and you've got an interest in what the next uh, next router from Telecom should look like, then uh, then jump in there and have a little bit of a look at that one. Um, uh, now, also the Surface Pro, we talked about that last week. Uh, finally launched in New Zealand uh, last Friday, uh, so that's in the market and available uh, now for uh, for anyone that's been waiting for that to to land uh, locally. Thirteen hundred and forty nine for the sixty four uh, gigabyte model and uh, fourteen ninety nine for the uh, the one twenty eight uh, gigabyte one. Uh, and also, we've had um, official confirmation of a, a Samsung Galaxy S four mini uh, product. Now, we had heard of this one actually ahead of the release of the S4, uh, and, and we'd also heard um, heard some noises about the uh, uh, waterproof and dustproof sort of uh, rugged variation on the S4, which I don't think Samsung had confirmed yet, uh, but the uh, the S4 mini is confirmed. Now, Bill, what's your uh, what's your pick on this? Just how mini is, uh, is the S4 mini? I think it's a 4.3-inch screen, isn't it? Yeah, which makes it Bigger than most iPhones, and, and I think it's—I I mean, I think it's Samsung having a bit of a server Apple. Even calling it the Mini is a bit of—it's a bit of a server <laughs> Apple. Um, it's—it's it's not that Mini, is it? I mean, it's the, the specs a bit lower. It's. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, I mean, it's a pretty high-end device. I think it, uh, yeah. you know, it, it gives people the option to get that S4-type functionality without quite the same price point. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, not quite hot, as high-end in terms of uh, uh, specifications. But, you know, there are plenty of people that, that like a smaller phone. Um, yeah. Now, Steve, you're, you're a big iPhone, um, you know, fan we talked about before about your keenness on, on, on Apple products. Are you starting to feel that your uh, your, your your iPhone uh, 5 screen is uh, is too small with all these bigger bigger screen devices coming out. Now, now this is this is really important, and you've got to listen carefully. The Samsung Galaxy S4 is starting to turn me because I was so impressed when I played with one last week. I thought, wow, this is actually almost better than an iPhone 5, and uh, some of the stuff that it was doing, the form factor was great. Um, and, and, you know, if anyone from Samsung's listening, please give me one to go and play with for a week so I can actually extol the virtues of how good it was. I was impressed. And, and so, yeah, for once I've actually, um, gone, hmm, I could probably do this. I'm yet to be convinced, but I'm pretty close to. So well, it sounds like you're uh, you're you're on the line there. That's uh, that's fascinating. Well, uh, you know what would really excite me, and I, I've heard rumours of this of a 
plain Android Samsung Galaxy S4, you know, without the software, without the overlays and so on. That sounds really quite exciting. Well, we're, yeah, must... we've seen uh, we've seen that that Google are going to be launching the uh, well, there's going to be variants of the um, the Galaxy S4 and the HTC One, uh, both w- without the sort of the add-on software yeah. and extras from uh, from HTC or from Samsung. They're just going to have plain Android on them. Now, in some ways, that means those devices are, g- are going to lose, you know, a lot, uh, especially the S4, lose their edge because they've got some really special things uh, from a software perspective. But uh, yeah. Then, then you certainly get the uh, the most up to date version of Android, and and uh, you know you you get that uh, you know I, I guess um, you know cleaner um, you know overall uh, you know device. But I I think if we if we if we look at the number of devices uh, with Android that are sold with just the the raw Android, it's actually a very very small percentage, and it seems those those types of devices don't sell in big numbers. So yeah, but, yeah, but the Huge. The application is pretty huge if you think about it with not so many apps on it and all of that fat stuff on it, but if you stick something like Vend on it, it becomes an instant till. Mm. Or a ticketing application, it becomes a thing at the gate. Um, so it's cheap enough and smart enough to go and start being more useful uh, for specific niche applications. So I think that's really cool. Mm. Okay. Now, also now, next week coming up um, is Apple's uh, Worldwide Developer Conference. There really are all sorts of events going on at the moment, uh, so there'll be there'll no doubt be a bunch of uh, you know interesting announcements from there. Uh, Steve, what's your top pick uh, for for uh, announcements next week? It's it's being coined iRadio. It's the Spotify killer. It's 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 going to to be the subscription service that you do from iTunes. Um, because right now the iTunes radio stuff is rubbish. Um, and, and soon you'll be able to create your own playlists for free. I reckon you'll get a bit of an advertising thing there. If I was a radio station, I'd kind of be a bit curious as to what's really going on there because when a global radio station goes online that's yours, like Spotify, etc., and you make it really, really simple, and maybe you pay 99 cents a week to have it, it makes it easy for you to buy the tracks instantly. So kiss goodbye to things like Shazam in the future. Um, because you'll just be able to buy it online straight away from your gadget. So iRadio is my big pick for next week's uh, WWDC. And do you do you think Apple are going to uh, change from only making their uh, you know these sorts of services or primarily making these sorts of services available to uh, you know to Apple uh, you know hardware owners, or do you think they're going to uh, you know take a tip from from some of the others? And uh, yeah, offer this across other oh, I, other platforms. I, I, iTunes is already cross-platform anyway, so that argument's um, out the window. Well, I'm talking sort of Android and uh, you know a- Android and say you know Windows Phone, etc. What are the chances they're going to go down that track? Oh, someone will do a plug-in somewhere and, uh, <laughs> and, and pretend to do something. I mean, there's a there's a challenge for a budding entrepreneur in New Zealand to go and code something like that up. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> give All it a right. go. Well, that uh, that wraps us up. It's been a bit of a uh, bumper episode this week. We've we've covered a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, fairly in depth in some cases. So, thanks everyone for uh, for staying with us and for for listening into this episode. Uh, we will catch you back next week. Now, um, Steve, where do we catch you online? What's your uh, What's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle's at Simsy S I W M S Y. Excellent. And anywhere else where uh, where people should look for you? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course, and uh, and otherwise. Um uh, to become a Facebook friend, you've actually got to come through my front door at home. Fair Love enough. <laughs> Love <laughs> it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, Bill, you're pretty easy to track down in the online world, aren't you? Yeah, Bill Bennett, 
um, NZ, uh, uh, sorry, BillBennett.com.co.nz. God, I'm stumbling here. <laughs> and, and, and anybody can meet me in the real world if they want to buy me a drink in a bar, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and it's pretty easy to track me down as well on on, on online. Uh, thank, thanks to uh, tools such as uh, such as Google. Uh, my main uh, blog is uh, is tech, techjungle.com, hosted by Geekzone, uh, and I'm on Twitter at Paul Spain. So uh, that's where you can track me down. Of course, nztechpodcast.com is uh, is our main home for for the podcast. Uh, and do uh, do track us down on on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook uh, and uh, and even Google Plus, which is uh, starting to get a bit busier these days as well. So uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening in. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>